With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Glamour Fearless. Diabetes Late Night. Welcome you to Diabetes Late Night. I'm your host, Mr. Divabetic, and thank you for tuning in. Tonight, we're talking about the blues, the shoes, and the different weight loss surgeries that could help you to lose with musical inspiration from the one and only Etta James, courtesy of Sony Music. Etta James forged a five-decade career with powerful and emotional yearning voice, gracing over a dozen hit singles and earning her four Grammy Awards and a place in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. However, Etta's life offstage was quite a different story. She struggled for decades with a heroin addiction, bankruptcy, and even obesity. Looking back at that time in her life, she said, I was a fool who was smart enough to know and a fool who was dumb enough not to care. Her life changed along with her health in in 2001 when she decided to have gastric bypass surgery. She lost more than 200 pounds, which she attributed to helping regain some of the momentum in her career. If I could live my life over, she said, I would keep the roller coaster in my life. I love the highs and lows. You gotta, you gotta, you've got to work for what you want, fall down, get back up, brush yourself off, and keep going. Unfortunately, Etta James died of leukemia in 2011 at the age of 73. With her passing, the music world lost one of the greatest performers and legends that helped bridge the gap between rock and roll and rhythm and blues. Tonight, we're using Etta James' musical legacy to travel to where you are 
and let you know you're not alone. Joining me will be the po- will be poet Lorraine Brooks, the Charlie's Angels of Outreach, Mama Rosemarie, Dr. Monique Renee Roll, Catherine Schuler, Cindy Lou from Kentucky, Catherine from New Orleans, and Tara, one of the creators of the 2016 new diabetes advocacy calendar called TD1 Exposed. Now, before we get things started, why don't you take a minute and donate to DivaBetic. We're bringing you all those divas tonight at divabetic.org. Your tax-deductible contributions are greatly appreciated. You know, there's now talk of a movie based on Etta James' 1995 autobiography, Rage to Survive, the Etta James story. And when she was asked who she thought would play her, Etta James said it would either be Faith Evans or Mary J. Blige. Here's another song from her All the Way album, courtesy of Sony Music. Let's listen. You may say I'm Welcome back to Diabetes Late Night. I'm your host, Mr. Diva Bedek, and tonight we're being inspired by the Rock and Hall Hall of Famer, Etta James, whose musical career really lasted five amazing decades. You know, uh, weight loss as you get older, is it gets a little bit harder, and as your body changes, so do, does your weight loss system. Later on the show, I'll be talking to two of the sexiest, smartest diabetes educators from around the country, who I finally refer to as the Charlie's Angels of Outreach about different weight loss surgeries available today. But first, it's time to get some sweet inspiration from poet Lorraine Brooks. Please welcome Lorraine. Hi, Lorraine. Hi, Max. How are you doing? Great. Thanks for joining us tonight. Thanks for having me. You know, this is a big night because we always love to do uh, one time a year. We love to celebrate a diva who... uh, a little bit further back in time than currently on the charts. We've done Billie Holiday, we've done Nina Simone, and uh, this year we're doing Etta James. I'm just curious, are you a fan of Etta James? I am a fan of Etta James. I think everybody's probably a fan of the blues, you know? I mean, everybody can relate to the, to, to, to the life's ups and downs. And she's not such such a, a far-back throwback. She's um, almost a contemporary. I remember her very well. Yeah, well, you know, she had like a, some downtime. Obviously, I mentioned she had the heroin addiction. She also was addicted to uh, prescription drugs. She served some time in jail. Uh, but then, like, you know, later in the 80s, she kind of regained regained her career momentum mm-hmm. again and came back and started doing newer albums like the one we're playing tonight, All, All the Way, where she did um, covers of some classic songs that was just imagined by John Legend. Later on, we'll be doing uh, R. Kelly's I Believe I Could Fly. I mean, but it's interesting because I know you you work so much around addiction, you know, how this woman, I think she's known for being so open and honest about it. Like she didn't try to hide anything versus how maybe some other famous faces have tried to keep that in the back. She seemed, in my opinion, and I'm curious to know what you think, she kind of wore it on her sleeve almost. Yeah, you know, she she seemed to be somebody that, that was um, – um, suffering with a lot of demons, you know, as is not uncommon. If you think about Billie Holiday and people like like her, who uh, 
who sing a certain type of music and you can hear in their music the you know the heartache and the and the and the troubles that they've had and Etta was probably one of those people who um you know had a lot of things to deal with in her life and unfortunately um she took the path of drugs to you know try and deal with some of those things but yeah she was um she was definitely um an honest woman, and I think most blues singers are. I think that's why we can relate to them so much, because they really tell the truth about what everybody's feeling. Absolutely. And, you know, she did write, uh, she spoke on camera about meeting Billie Holiday at a very young age and how Billie Holiday kind of warned her to take care of herself, almost uh, foreshadowing what was going to happen in her career, you know, in her own life. And she touched on, after she was in recovery, how that she always remembered that. It was kind of haunting that Billie Holiday kind of recognized that in her at such a year, early age that that might be a possibility. Mm, I can imagine that it's a hard life that they both lived and, you know, being, um, you know, women of color and uh, not always being accepted and just the things that happen to all of us in life. And, um, um you know she she was um she was her own woman though after all you know she did life her way and she took the rein uh, the horse by the reins and and did everything that she had to do for herself including overcoming a heroin addiction which is uh, a really um courageous thing to do so my hat is off to her in a number of ways absolutely so i know you have a wonderful poem to share with us tonight that kind of talks a little bit about the uh, legend of Etta James. Can you share it with us? You know, Max, I didn't know that she had had weight loss surgery. And um, after reading about her and and, uh, reading what you wrote and getting a little bit of background, I decided to write a poem about um, her struggles uh, with the weight loss. And my poem is called, At Last. At first, your talent took you on a journey, to reach heights only some of us can do. You sang the blues with honesty and fury, as if the very words belonged to you. At first, we saw you young and entertaining, without a care, as youth is often known. But somewhere down the line, you started gaining. As time went by, we saw how you had grown. Now, looks can be deceiving, and we know it, and entertainers like yourself can act. You're suffering, but do not care to show it by keeping all your smiles intact. At first, it's hard to see your weight ballooning. Denial and depression may ensue. You concentrate instead on songs and crooning and maybe didn't take good care of you. But then a big decision you were making, an operation that could be the cure, A risk, but such a risk was well worth taking. You knew you had to lose the weight, for sure. It made a difference, and you kept on going, and we had much more time to hear your voice. You now could see your inner beauty showing. I'm sure that you were glad you made that choice. So thank you for your songs and for your living. Your body of your work is large and vast. The message that you left will keep on giving, and we're all happy you're at peace at last. I love that because that really is a um, 
weight loss surgery and making that choice is is much greater than I think most of us realize. And the decision to do that, uh, I think what you were saying, the power of that, and, and obviously it really worked for her. But I know when I talk to Patricia and Susan coming up later, we're going to talk about all sides of the table around weight loss surgeries and what people with diabetes should know about it. it, it I just like the way you kind of um, – referenced it in, a, in just in a powerful way, and that really is inspiring. Just tell me a little bit more about where you were coming with that poem and, and what really well, stood out to you about her story. You know, I've, heard, I've had a number of friends who've had the weight loss surgery, and I think that if you don't really understand why people do it or, you know, their their reasons or the, the things that people go through before they make that decision, and a lot of people will say that it seems like the easy way out, you know, but it's it's anything but that. It's a it's a very courageous and um, not not always easy decision and not always easy surgery and certainly um, afterwards your life uh, changes and you have to really <clears throat> learn to incorporate those changes um, in in your life and in the, even in the lives of people around you. So I don't think it's an easy way out. I don't. I, I, I'm sure she struggled with it before she decided to do it. I'm glad it was successful for her. And I think it's important to talk about, you know, as I have a very good friend who's who's had the surgery, and she always says, it's not a cure, but it's a tool. And um, it's one of the tools that that you can use, um, but it but it's it's not without its um, difficulties. So it's not for everybody. And my hat is off to anybody who who decides to do it. I think it's um, uh, including Etta James and some other people that you talked about, Roseanne Barr and some other. Very high-profile people, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, you know who've had it done. Carney Wilson, I think, had it done as mm-hmm. well. So um, twice. they're all twice, really. Okay, well, that's even more courageous. Um, so yeah, I, I I don't think it's an easy way out at all, and I'm glad you're talking about it. I think it's something that people need to hear more about. Well, I'm glad you were on the show tonight. You know, I'm going to play a song in a minute by Billy that she that Etta James did. It's a big Billy Holiday. Day classic in your honor, Lorraine. But I have to say that I said that Imagine was by John Legend, and it's actually by John Lennon. So I oh, apologize to you. music fans out there. <laughs> if you want to hit me up on Facebook, please do and let me know that I'm just not on my game tonight. But here in Lorraine's honor is Etta James' version of the Billy Holiday classic, Good Morning Heartache, courtesy of Sony Music. Let's take Thank a look. Thank you, Max. Good morning. Welcome back to Divey's Late Night with musical inspiration from Etta James. You know, when you lose weight, you usually think of your hips, your waist, your thighs shrinking, but the size of your feet may also reduce when you drop a considerable amount of weight like Etta James did. Joining me to talk about this issue and other diabetes health-related foot issues is a leading podiatrist who specializes in foot and ankle surgery from Virginia. Please welcome back to the show Dr. Monique Renee Roll. Hi, Dr. Monique. Hi, you guys. How are you? Uh, there's a lot I want to talk to you about, and I know we only have a short amount of time, but 
I, I was reading that sometimes when people lose a considerable amount of weight, they do their feet, their shoe size changes, and I'm just wondering what your experience is with that. That's definitely correct, especially women that I've seen that have are pregnant um, or have been pregnant, not no longer pregnant, and have experienced swelling in their feet, or perhaps they've gained weight, which can cause the ligaments which hold the bones together to stretch, so they might experience a widening or a lengthening elongation of their foot. So, yes, and the, and the converse is true. People that lose a lot of weight can notice that their feet are actually feel smaller, more slender. So it's good to definitely have your feet measured at those different stages of life or different life changes that occur. And um, so is there a certain amount of weight, I mean, that you start to see the shift that's a guideline or no, you just, you know, if you start to feel like your shoes aren't fitting the same way, that that's the time to go to the, uh, to go get measured again? Um, you know, I would say for women that are pregnant, especially as you enter into the second, you know, maybe third trimester when you gain a considerable amount of weight or if you know that you're on an exercise program and you're anticipating losing weight, you know, it would be good to check in as you weigh in. You start to lose within 10, 20 pounds, you know, either up or down or gain that it's good to, to check, especially if you notice you're getting a blister or if you notice any type of uh, fit, you know, issues where the shoe doesn't feel as comfortable anymore. It's definitely a time to, to take a look at that. But basically by feel. I mean, if you have neuropathy and you don't feel anything, but you can actually, you know, check the scale or just do visual inspection with a mirror, then those, those are clues that can, can help you if you can't feel anything. Well, I'm glad you brought up neuropathy because I want to talk a little bit about that with you. We hear a lot of that term specifically around the diabetes community. Um, I don't think a lot of people really know what it is or what some of the symptoms are. Can you just tell us a little bit about that and how uh, someone would work with you, a podiatrist, on how to maybe relieve some of the symptoms? Sure. That's that's an excellent question. You know, peripheral neuropathy or diabetic neuropathy is something that, a lot, a lot of diabetics experience, not everyone does experience that, but basically it's what's called a stocking and glove distribution. Some people, the classic symptomatology is you notice a burning or tingling numbness in the hands as well as the feet, and usually you might feel like a pins and needles feeling. Some people describe a burning, a sharp pain. Those are all nerve pain, quote-unquote, type of symptoms. And usually people that have higher blood sugars may experience a more intense side effect of neuro diabetic neuropathy. And then there's people who are very well controlled and are, you know, wonderfully disciplined and still have neuropathy. Uh, as far as the treatment, there's some people who choose to do nothing and maybe, you know, a lot of times when they decrease their A1C or their blood sugars, they notice the symptoms are better. But there's also medications that can be prescribed. Um, I prescribe those medications. Sometimes the endocrinologist or the internist can prescribe um, there's some uh, gabapentin or Lyrica, um, those type of medications. A lot of patients don't necessarily care for those in some cases because it can make them sleepy. And so the dosage has to be adjusted accordingly so that you can experience, um, you know, feeling lively and feeling like yourself, but at the same time get relief from the symptoms. Um, and then some people choose to go the natural homeopathic way where we do maybe like a topical analgesic over-the-counter or compounding pharmacies make up different things that are prescription. Um, so there's many, many different ways to treat it. And as I said, some people choose to do to do nothing. 
which is fine too. It's just all about what you feel comfortable with and what you and your doctors or your team of doctors decide to do. Okay, and then, you know, everyone knew you were going to be on the show tonight on our Divabetic Facebook page, and we had one um, woman, I think her name's Debbie from St. Paul, and she said, can you ask her about corns? What are corns, and how do you prevent them, and is it possible to get rid of them without going to a podiatrist? Oh, thank you, Debbie. Um, Thank you for writing that question. That's a great question, which I get asked a lot, actually. So a corn is basically a hardening of the skin over a joint, um, usually over a digit, what we call like the lesser toes, the little toes next to the next to the big toes. And corns are usually caused by friction. So any type of pressure, whether it's shoe pressure, um, usually causes a corn. So basically it's a buildup of hardened skin. That's your body's way of trying to protect itself from pressure or friction. So you know, I'm not a huge proponent of over-the-counter treatments to remove corns just because, especially in my precious diabetic patients, uh, those treatments often involve salicylic acid, which is an acid. Um, it does have a warning label about being diabetic and possibly being neuropathic. I think it's definitely best to go see a podiatrist, whether it's me or someone, but to, the acid can actually be a little bit harmful because, when you put it on and put a shoe on, you don't see your foot, so you don't know what's really going on. I've seen people coming with burns, and some people have done well with them, actually, but it's because our audience are, you know, diabetic patients. I would, I do not recommend the pads that have acid on them, um, but to prevent them, you definitely want to wear shoes that have a proper toe box, meaning that the area where the toes are sitting needs to have enough space. So if you, one telltale sign to know if your shoe, if your toe box has enough space, if you have a shoe that has like a little bump or like a ridge in the where the toes are, meaning that your toe is protruding through the top or the side, the shoe is too small. So all you have to do is just um, take a look at your shoes, especially if they're leather, and if you see any type of bump or stretching or protrusion corresponding to where your toe is, that means you need a deeper toe box. Um, and it doesn't mean a wider width shoe. Um, a lot of people confuse that, meaning they need a wider shoe. Toe box is just the area where the toes are. So as opposed to a pointy, you may look for a round or a square toe box. And so those are just little things that can can definitely help prevent corns. So. so, but the way to do it is to you're you're recommending that people go to the podiatrist to be treated for the corn. Yes, right. What you can do, I mean, using the podiatrist's office, what most of us will do is uh, shave it off. The actual digit is contracted it's going to continue to come back because shaving off the corn is not going to stop the lesion from returning. So surgery ultimately is usually the answer to permanently remove a corn, uh, which is called a hammer. Hammer toe is called an arthroplasty, basically straightening the toe permanently. And then also when you do the surgery, you're also removing the corn itself. So you're actually correcting the contracture in the toe. But just shaving the lesion is not going to take it a, stop it from coming back permanently. Oh, so you so you really do need to get Debbie needs to really get medical advice on it to get rid of it permanently. What she's looking at over the counter would be like you're suggesting a quick fix, but not actually uh, alleviate it for good. So this might be an issue where she really does need to have some, some kind of surgery. Correct, possibly if she's a candidate, but she should definitely be seen being being treated be treated by a podiatrist for sure. 
All right. Well, you know, later on in the show, we're going to be playing Which Shoe Do You Do? And it's all about Fashion Week in New York. And I don't know if you were reading any of the papers, uh, Dr. Monique, but uh, Lady Gaga was in these very high platform shoes. They must have been at least 12 inches off the ground. So before you go, I just wanted to ask a little bit about injuries that happen from wearing heels that are just way too high. Of course, those were over the top. But I, I, you must treat a lot of women who've had problems with uh balance and things like that right that is true you know and sometimes you know when the shoe when the heel becomes very very high that way the ankles actually flex downward so the ankle becomes unstable so sometimes we do see ankle sprains where you know patients will come in and not recollect you know a traumatic incident or anything that really happened but as you take a history you start to realize that you know that maybe one of you know really high type of heel, you know, for a prolonged period of time and just anatomically puts a lot of stress on the ankle. It, it basically what's called, moves it out of the ankle mortis. So instead of it being aligned, it's actually pointed downward in a point position. And, you know, of course, that puts stress in abnormal places and um, it's just not something that you want to wear all the time, you know. That's not for daily <laughs> daily shoe wear. Right, so diabetes doesn't have to dim your dazzle, but you might want to just go down a couple inches in those sky-high heels, right? Exactly. Go down a couple inches, and if you have, like, a particular event, like we said before, you know, you can bring a pair of shoes to change into, but you definitely don't want to injure yourself or risk, you know, hurting yourself for fashion. It's not worth it. I love it. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. That's Dr. Monique. Renee Roll from Lansdowne Podiatry in Virginia. Thank you, guys. All Have right. a good night. Thank you. All right, it's it's time for our hot topic, which this month obviously is focusing on weight loss surgery. And uh, as I said before, by the late 1990s, Etta James weighed 400 pounds, and she was unable to stand on stage. So in 2001, she elected to have gastric bypass surgery. It was at the urging of her friend, Roseanne Barr, who also had gastric bypass surgery. Uh, Etta James lost over 235 pounds and managed to keep the weight off for the rest of her life. Here to talk more about weight loss surgery options like gastric bypass surgery and gastric band surgery are fabulous diabetes educators. First, I'd like to introduce you to Patricia Addy Gentle. Hello, Patricia. Hi, Max. Thanks for being on the show. And from Long Island, we have Susan Greenberg Wiener. Thanks, Max. So glad to be here tonight. Oh, and thank you for being on here. And I just want to say congratulations because I found out that you're receiving the prestigious Dare to Dream Award from the Diabetes Research Institute at a major gala here in New York City in uh, May. And uh, I know this award recognizes your hard work in the community, but you're also very passionate about the mission of the Diabetes Research Institute. Why don't you share us a little bit about that? Oh, thanks so much, Max. The Diabetes Research Institute is doing their utmost and their best to research to find a cure, a cure for type 1 diabetes. And they have some incredible work going on in their biohub research and a lot more than that. So I, dream, I dare to dream that one day there'll be a cure for type 1 diabetes and I can start on my second career. I'm not sure what that'll be yet, but I will get there. I would love it. Well, c congratulations to you and 
I dare to dream too. I'm sure a lot of our uh, guests tonight would as well. Uh, Patricia, I want to start with you on the hot topic, Wendy Williams style. Many people with diabetes, including Randy Jackson from American Idol, choose to have weight loss surgery, and there seem to be several different types. There's gastric bypass that Etta James and Roseanne had, and there's also gastric sleeve surgery, which Rosie O'Donnell recently had. Can you tell us what these surgeries are and how they differ? Sure. Um, the, with the gastric bypass surgery, it uh, well, they are all considered to be restrictive um, surgeries, meaning that they make the uh, stomach, uh, they decrease the capacity of the stomach, and that way um, less calories are consumed, uh, less food is consumed, and therefore there is the weight loss. But in the gastric bypass surgery, um, we see a lot of, different adverse things happening. Sometimes um, it will lead to osteoporosis because there are vitamin deficiencies, calcium deficiencies. Um, the stomach is small and the food intake is rerouted. So it's, it passes through the intestine where the absorption takes place uh, at a more rapid speed. And that's a malabsorptive disorder when that happens. So it has been known to cause lots and lots of problems. Also, I have had experience with people who have had gastric bypass surgery, and over the years they tend to kind of fall off the wagon and revert to some of their old eating habits. And when that happens, you can overfill or cause damage that can lead to obstructions. So once any type of gastric restrictive surgery is done, the person must maintain discipline. There, discipline is the bottom line. If you don't have the discipline for it, you don't need the surgery. As a matter of fact, um, a lot of psychological um, testing and education is done prior to the surgery to make sure that the person is a good candidate with a good mindset and able to endure because it's not a, a quick fix as a lot of people feel that it is. It's not that you'll be able to eat what you want and you just want to absorb it and all is well. You have to have a lot of discipline and eat properly, small amounts, small portions frequently in order to maintain the weight loss. Now, all right, well, wait uh, one second because I want uh -huh. to bring in um, – Susan Greenberg-Wiener, who's a registered dietitian, um, you're also the Diabetes Educator of the Year from last year. I know you also do counseling around this. Everyone's questioning uh, Chris Christie, you know, Susan. I mean, Lorraine mentioned this being a tool. Uh, we just heard Patricia talking how the relationship to food plays a big role in it. This, isn't a, this surgery doesn't just happen overnight. People have to go through counseling, but uh, I want to know what kind of counseling they go through, and then I would love your expert opinion on why someone like Chris, Chris uh, um, <clears throat> Governor Christie can't um, seem to ha doesn't experience the same kind of weight loss that Al Roker did. Very interesting, and and to start at the end and then go back to the beginning. If you'll notice, Al Roker was probably much leaner, had lost a lot more weight a few years ago, and has recently bounced up maybe 25 pounds, which has been well documented. And that happens very often, five to six years after a bariatric surgery. 
So in my practice, I've been in private practice um, over 25 years, and many times a patient will be referred to me as part of their pre-assessment for all these types of bariatric surgeries that Patricia was just discussing. So they go through a physical assessment, a psychological assessment. I see them for a nutritional assessment as well. And um, while I'm going through the assessment with them, what the physician, the bariatric surgeon, wants to know and what the insurance company also wants to know beforehand is if the patient is going to be able to, um, I don't like to use the word compliance, but adhere to some of the parameters which are necessary after surgery. So um, before the surgery, many physicians want the patient to lose usually approximately 10% of their body weight before the hand. And there's a lot of reasons for that, including the fact that most patients lose a certain percentage of body weight and not more than that. So, of course, somebody who's 400 pounds will lose more weight than someone who's having the surgery at 225 pounds, but they tend to lose a similar percentage of weight loss. Starting healthy habits before the surgery, which includes good nutrition, of course, and physical activity, makes transition after surgery much easier and less sudden. Depending on the type of surgery, after the surgery, your body will probably need to be on liquids, semi-solids, and soft foods for a while after to adjust to the process. But Patricia is right. Um, A few months out, maybe six months after the surgery, when dumping syndrome, which is an inability to process carbohydrates, which happens most often soon after the surgery, becomes less and less. So if you aren't working with a nutrition professional and you aren't using the surgery as a tool in the toolbox, you tend to gain back weight. And talking about Chris Christie, um, I'm not positive of the type of bariatric procedure he had. My guess is that he had something that was not overly invasive because he had to go back to his employee. But if you don't follow it as a tool in a toolbox, we measure success in losing weight and keeping it off, not losing weight and gaining it back. So um, he may not be following um, everything that he needs to follow, and I'm really not exactly sure what else might be going on there. So transitioning is very important. I think this would be extremely disappointing, you know, specifically around a person with diabetes because a lot of times they advertise this as reversing your diabetes, getting rid of it, and and then to have someone have the surgery, lose the weight, go off, and we're specifically talking about type 1, I mean type 2 diabetes, excuse Mm -hmm. me, everyone, and they go off their medications and then slowly, like you're saying, they gain it back. Like, for instance, I know Carney Wilson actually had the surgery twice, because uh, 12 years after she had the first surgery, she gained the weight, the weight back. She had bypassed the first time, then in, um, in 1999, and then in, in January 2012, she underwent the lap band surgery. And still today, I think she would probably say, uh, with the tools in hand, she's still struggling. So how do you I, – I just think there's so much emotion here, so much mm-hmm. – uh, it breaks your spirit, I would think. And I'm just wondering, Susan, like how do you handle, how, what do you say to people who have gone through it and are now in the midst of the struggle all over again? How do you help them get to the other side and back on a track with their health goals and expectations? In some of these cases, 
the, our genetics will make up for an initial weight loss. So some people are not meant to be at a particularly low weight. So the body may adjust up 10 or 15% after losing a large amount of weight. So that happens. And that's why I tell people, when you reach your lowest weight, don't think that that's necessarily, although you're putting in all your finest efforts, may, where you may wind up. But addiction, as Etta James went through, if, if you have an addiction to food and all of a sudden you can't um, you know, continue with that addiction, sometimes it may come out in other ways. Sexual promiscuousness, many people who after have lost a tremendous amount of weight may uh, max out a credit card, turn to alcohol. There's different things that happen. So really what happens is we have to find out why people are actually eating. What is the reason that you might be overeating? What is causing the addiction? And I work in my practice a tremendous amount on mindful behaviors and the relationship that my patients have with food to make a lifelong change. Having that relationship with food has to change when you have bariatric surgery. has to. And Patricia, I know you're a registered nurse, and one of the big issues around any of these dramatic weight losses is the skin issue and the skin surgeries that um, that come along with it. You mentioned like the vitamin deficiencies, some people dealing with bone uh, loss, but then there's also health issues around uh, excess skin, correct? That's correct. A lot of times, um, I guess uh, for lack of another way to say it, the loose skin that hangs and sags once a person has bypass surgery can cause um, ulcers and skin breakdown um, because they're the inability to get air to those areas. So when there is a lot of flab or a lot of sagging skin, um, surgery is sometimes re- required in order to reduce the amount of skin that hangs and uh, because it definitely can cause problems. You know, I, I just wanted to talk about this on all sides, and I thank you both for being a part of this segment, because I just feel like sometimes we get so caught up in weight loss, weight loss, and no one's ever talking about what the other side of that is. I know there's a lot of bashing that goes on, like with The Biggest Loser, you know, when they, some of the past winners have gained the weight back. But, Susan, you've been doing this your whole life. Most people who lose weight tend to gain it back, unfortunately, still to this day. Like the percentage of people who maintain versus the percentage of people who gain, is there's a big difference, is there not? Oh, there's a tremendous difference, and after, um, at the be- you know, all you want to do is impart in- information when I first came out of school, and now I learned that education is not the only thing it's about. Mindfulness and knowing why people are doing what they're doing is just as important. Am I really hungry? Being mindful about behaviors and, again, really feeling your hunger and knowing your body is so important. And, Max, I, I want to say something that's, was an amazing turning point in my career. This happened to me on two different occasions with patients who lost over 100 pounds um, working with me and on their behaviors and their emotions around food. And people came up to them in the street and said, oh, you must have had surgery. And they said, no, I did it, you know, with the work of a nutritionist and with going to the gym and changing my behaviors and my lifestyle. So it was looked, you know, that like they'd had a quick fix 
like surgery, where we know after our discussion today, surgery is not always the answer and is certainly a hard road and not a quick fix. But people jump to conclusions sometimes no matter which way you go. That's fantastic. Well, you know, later on the show, I'm going to be speaking to Divabetic Image and Style Advisor Catherine Schuler about tips on how your wardrobe can accommodate a weight fluctuation. And coming up in a minute, I'm going to be talking to a woman who's willing to bear it all in the name of diabetes. But first, our diva inspiration, Etta James, when she was asked what advice she would give to young artists coming up today, she said, don't get too arrogant or too sure of yourself. Also, don't just look for the glory and the bright lights. Here's another song from the All The Way album by Etta James, courtesy of Sony Music. It's her version of R. Kelly's biggest hit, I Believe I Can Fly. Let's take a listen. I can fly. I believe I can touch the sky. Think about it every night and day. Spread my wings and fly away. I believe, I believe I can soar. I see me running through that open door. I believe I can fly. I believe I can fly. I believe I can fly. Oh, I enjoy that version. Hey, you're listening to Divey's Late Night. I'm your host, Mr. Divabetic, and tonight I'm playing music by Etta James to help inspire you to glam more, fear less. It's time to meet a real-life diva living with type 1 diabetes who's not afraid to bear all. In fact, she's one of the fabulous creators of the eye-catching 2016 du- nude, dude, excuse me, d- nude diabetes advocacy calendar called TD1 Exposed, which feeds features tasteful nude portraits of people living with type 1 diabetes, embracing the changes that diabetes makes in their lives and their bodies. Please welcome to the show, Tara. Hi, Tara. Hey, Max. How are you? Good. You know, we're talking all about weight loss and body image. I would assume that the people who pose in your calendar have a lot of uh, self-confidence. You know, true? they do, and they're very, they're very brave and willing to share their bodies and their stories with a very large audience, which has been such an incredible experience for me to be a part of. And it's all types of people. I mean, they're all living with type 1, but it's all, it crosses, we should tell everyone, these aren't supermodels. I mean, they are, in, our, in my eyes, supermodels for what they did, but they're technically not working with Ford or uh You know, they're not at a top modeling agency right now. They're just everyday people. Some of them are newly diagnosed. Some of them have been living with diabetes for 30 to 60 years, and they took the time to pose this and kind of raise awareness. And I do think a lot of people with diabetes have issues around their body, and I'm wondering – we spoke to the other creator the other the um a couple months ago. I'm wondering how you what led you to want to get involved in this. So I was actually working on my thesis project, which was all about the invisibility of diabetes. Um, you know, because when you meet a person and you start talking to them, it's it's not readily available. It's not visible on the outside. Um, and I met our co-creator. Kat Reed, and we started talking about how 
we wanted to create more advocacy for type 1 diabetes. So that was kind of how T1D Exposed was born, and we decided to make a calendar to fundraise for a couple of our beloved uh, diabetes organizations, and um, it turned into a really beautiful project about body acceptance and uh, really appreciating what our bodies can do despite, you know, diabetes and all the complications that come along with it. And you are a photographer. You did the photography. Have you ever taken nude photos before? I've done a little bit of nude photography just in my thesis uh, through, through my master's program in school, but it's definitely something that I've had to become more comfortable with this project. And it's it's fun. It's challenging, and it's also getting to know the people in a very quick, short amount of time and making them feel comfortable with with being nude in front of me, so. Yeah, so just explain that a little bit to us, uh, what it's like, because I know Kat wanted Mama Rosemarie to pose in the calendar, and she's still debating it. Uh, (laughs) So I was like, what is it like? Because I'm looking, you know, Gary is in the calendar. He's been living with type 1 diabetes for 62 years. Um, He's an older gentleman. I don't, he has, he doesn't have a six-pack, but he definitely, uh, you know, he looks like, pretty much every guy over a certain age, and I'm wondering, like, what was it like for him? Like, what was that experience about? You know, I think, as with all of our participants, they came into the project kind of seeing it as this challenge and this thing they wanted to accomplish in their life, and sharing their body meant that they were sharing their story so that people of many different circumstances could relate to the calendar somehow. And, you know, Gary was a wonderful, welcoming, open, uh, great guy. And he's been living with it for 62 years now. And he was, you know, very comfortable with himself and very comfortable with Kat and I. And, and it was just really a great experience getting to know these different people. And what's your experience with diabetes? I have had type 1 diabetes for 21 years. And so and, how did it how has it affected you, Tara? Like what was your how do you how did it affect your body? How do you look at it as far as relating to body image? Um for a very very long time, I was what I like to call a denialbetic. Um I didn't want to I didn't want anybody to know that I had diabetes. I didn't really want to know it myself. Um And it's just recently, in the past probably 10 years, that I've really gotten comfortable with who I am and that diabetes is a part of that and that it will always be a part of who I am. And and honestly, because of the technology that we have and the medications that we have, it's why I'm here today. Um, And I think the project pays, you know, respect to the, the gadgets, the devices, and the medication that we um, receive, you know, in order to stay alive. Well, you know, I get a lot of emails from a, a lot of young women living with um, type 1 diabetes who are in denial. I'd love to know what changed for you because I know they're listening tonight, and I think you could do a lot of good by just sharing a little bit more about what was the turning point because, like I said, I do receive a lot of emails from these women who have been hospitalized and uh, just seems to affect women in a – it just – 
it's a difficult thing. I'm sure the journey was very difficult, as you just said. It definitely was. And I, it got to a point where I just felt so alone and I didn't, I didn't know how to escape from that alone feeling. Um, I had actually reached out to JDRF and tried to find a support group and was, you know, in that place where I, I wanted to connect with somebody. I needed to talk to somebody about diabetes because I, I felt like I had no one to talk to about it. And so I put myself out there. I found a group, and then I met Kat the co-founder of T1D Exposed, and, and we became friends, and my diabetes community really opened up. And one of the benefactors from the calendar is also Carb DM, mm -hmm. and they host um, a lot of social events for people with type 1 diabetes. Um, so that was one way how I really got involved, is I found these organizations and found people my age and people who had shared the same stories and connected with them on a different level than I had ever connected with anybody before. That's great. I hope those women hear that. Do you have an online community that you love to go to that we might just share right now? Um, definitely CarbDM. Um, it's CarbDM.org. They are in the Bay Area. And definitely check out your local JDRF um, website as well. They host a lot of events and ways to connect to community there. Um, if you're in the Bay Area, there's also the Diabetes Youth Families Organization, which hosts um, camps for kids and camps for families. Um, so that's a good way for young adults also to get involved. They can go be a camp counselor and go hiking and hang out in the woods with a bunch of kids that have type 1 diabetes too. Great. All right, well, we're we're going to play a style game in a minute, but we are talking about weight loss and, and body image tonight. And I'm just curious, because you're living with type 1, I've heard this a lot at Diva Better Club meetings in New York and Philadelphia and Cleveland about women being hesitant about insulin because they feel they gain weight. Did you ever have an experience like that? I definitely did. When I started getting my blood sugars under control and stopped being a denialbetic, um, I gained a lot of weight, and it was really hard to accept that. But then I started feeling a lot better. I started having more energy. I started wanting to seize the day, and and my A1C came down, and I felt like a whole new person. Um, you know, and there, it's it's hard to deal with that weight gain, but it's also, I think, going along with the theme of the show is, you know, loving your body for what it can do and not what it looks like. Absolutely, which is why I know you're completely naked, but you're still thinking about shoes, and you know, <laughs> I love to play games, and we have a new game called Which Shoe Do You Do, care of our Divabetic Image and Style Advisor, Katherine Schuler. I'm going to ask you a style question in a minute, and you'll have a chance to win a new pair of shoes from Earth Brand Shoes, but first... I need to get a little fashion help. She's been busy at Fashion Week all week because uh, in New York City it's all about fashion. Please welcome to the show Catherine Schuler. Hi, Catherine. Hi, Matt. Well, our, our guest row. is completely naked, so you know you can only do <laughs> show your shape, know your shape is really taking on a whole new meaning tonight, Catherine. Um, <laughs> I know you saw a lot of the runway shows, and we're about to talk about uh, one of the most incredible trends happening in fashion. I think it's so empowering. We're seeing a lot more plus-size fashion coming out, and there are a lot of A-list 
actors and actresses who are coming out with their own lines. And I know tonight you wanted to showcase one line in particular. Yeah, um, I'm very thrilled with what's going on with the Kirby community because it's still, it's healthy, it's fashionable, we're finally getting to be plus size but on an equal playing field, and the fashion has stepped up to the plate. And, you know, this uh, week's quiz is featuring the Torrid line, Hot Topic line uh, of Rebel Wilson, and I did a little bit of research on her, and uh, she's an Australian actress, comedian who came to fame here in this country on Pitch Perfect, and everybody fell in love with her in her kind of uh, off-the-cuff, very rebellious kind of uh, uh, humor that she um, is just on talk shows all the time. Just and she's like the Amy Schumer type of humor that we have these days. It's like very, very brazen, and she's just you know she's her own person. And Torrid came to her and said, "Oh, uh, you know, we want to have you do a clothing line." And you know, I'm sure she's been uh, accosted by Jenny Craig and Nutrisystem to do weight loss. <laughs> surgeries and weight loss programs too and you know I'm glad that she's just opted for the fashion and uh, really kind of put her efforts into that. Um, I read a little bit about her and it it seems as though she is diabetic um, and you know that's that's something I think she just lost about 50 pounds on um, Jenny Craig in Australia so um, you know it's all about not uh, you know, being a better eater or a perfect eater, but just doing what you can do every day to stay healthy and and within those guidelines of eating as many vegetables and fewer carbs as you possibly can, and, and looking good I every day. Yeah, and looking good, getting out the door with a beautiful outfit and a fabulous pair of shoes that you can actually walk in. <laughs> All right, so Tara, we you we sent you the picture. I, for everyone listening, I posted this picture on Facebook today. We'll be on the Diva Better blog in the next week, um, so you can play along with it. We have three looks by Torrid Fashions, which are young and trendy. I love that. There's a little goth, rave, punk, glam look to this. These sizes run 12 to 24. Um, it's three outfits, and Tara, you have three choices of boots. Catherine found three boots, uh, different boot lengths for you to choose from. Don't give us your answer yet, but we should just tell the listeners one boot is to the knee, one boot is mid-calf, and the other one is that popular ankle boot. And the women in the picture, the the clothes that we're looking at, Catherine, are all, all pretty much like um, knee-length dresses or separates with skirts, a knee-length skirt. asymmetrical skirts, yeah. A lot and of, a lot of the, the uh, shoes are... I mean, the shoe boot is, you know, it would be problematic if you lost weight. Um, the, the, the shoe, the actual width of the calf might be too big, or if in, you know, uh, the uh, other extreme you had a wide calf. That's problematic with a, with a, a shoe boot All right, like well, wait, don't give us any more because it's all up to Tara. But before, Tara, you reveal <laughs> your, your choice in which shoe do you do, courtesy of Earth Brand Shoes tonight, um, we're going to play a little music to inspire everyone to get into that glamour, fearless philosophy mentality tonight. You know, uh, Etta James received a Hollywood Walk of Fame star in 2003. Let's listen to one more song by our diva inspiration for April. Here it is, The Rock. I was a rock standing strong for you. There was nothing I wouldn't do. 
and, and maybe even belt them when they get a little bigger uh, so you can get a little bit more wardrobe longevity out of it. But um, a, a lot of uh, stretch and elastic waist and also uh, drawstrings help uh, when you're dieting to look good every single day so that you, you can stay on course, stay motivated and inspired. All right. Well, thank you for that. And for Tara, for playing our Diva Better game tonight and Woo-hoo. helping us raise awareness for diabetes in a funny Woo. way, you're getting a free pair of shoes from the foot-friendly sponsor, Earth Brand Shoes. Plus, that's not Woo-hoo. all, ladies and gentlemen. You're getting a new Naturals gift basket filled with diabetic-safe, low-glycemic, toothfriendly sweeteners, a cabbage cheese gift basket filled with an assortment of delicious, low-fat cheeses, and Dr. Greenfield's diabetes lotions and products, which are specifically designed for people with diabetes with sensitive and delicate skin. And for all my listeners, oh, you're, getting a pri- <laughs> you're getting a prize too, Catherine, because we're going to play some more music from our diva inspiration, Etta James. She said uh, she had to understand a song before she could record it and make it her own. For example, she couldn't record the song Sugar on the Floor until she figured out what it meant to her. Here's <laughs> her version of a 1934 jazz standard called In My Solitude. Let's take a listen. In my solitude You haunt me With reveries Of days gone by In Welcome back to Diabetes Late Night. Tara, you know, I wanted to play that song because I thought we'd have a Diva Better Club meeting right here on the podcast tonight and uh, look at diabetes from all perspectives. I thought we'd introduce our new segment, All Types of Divas, showcasing how unique managing your diabetes truly is. Please welcome to the show Cindy Lou from Kentucky. Hi, Cindy Lou. Comics. And Catherine from New Orleans. Hello, Catherine. Hello, Max. Hi, everybody. All right, so Cindy Lou, you've been living with type 2 diabetes for a little more than a year, maybe a little less than a year. And, Catherine, you've been managing your type 1 diabetes for over 40 years. Correct. Right? And yep, you just 47. Heard, 47. So um, I'm curious. I want to start with you, Catherine, first. You heard us talking all about body image, and you even hear, heard uh, Tara talking a little bit about just some of the difficulties she had initially. What was it like 47 years ago? Well, 47 years ago, uh, as a nine-year-old child, uh, it was um, it was just uh, I was so afraid. I had no idea. Um, it um, it changed me. It changed me totally. And uh, but but um, I had uh, the good fortune uh, to have the support of a brother and a sister and a mother uh, to to help me along with all of this and. Um, I had my share of troubles. I had my share of not wanting to take my insulin and not wanting to inject a needle into my body. Uh, but it took time. Um, but 
and, and it does. It takes time, and I got over it and um, did, did did very well with it uh, later on. And Cindy Lou, obviously there's a lot more people living with type 2 than type 1, but I would think even um, for you it had to feel a little isolating, like Tara mentioned earlier in the show. Was it for you, your experience when you were first diagnosed? Oh, terribly. I wouldn't tell anyone because there was nobody else in my family that was. And I had a very bad experience at the first doctor where I was told it was all my fault. So, no, until I met you and your organization and found out it was okay and that probably I wasn't totally responsible for what happened, um, then I had a coming out party on Facebook, and now it's all good. My life's probably better than it's ever been because my health is. (laughs) I love it. And I, I want to bring in our educators because when we do Diva Better Club, we always have educators in the room. So Susan and Patricia are back. You know, um, uh, before we talk, we're, we were the idea of this segment is just to talk about how different managing diabetes is from all perspectives, but also how much we have in common. But before we talk about tonight, we're going to talk about potatoes. I want to ask Patricia and Susan just a little bit about what I touched on with Tara about this idea about gaining weight with insulin. Why don't we start with you, Susan? Uh, So before you're diagnosed with diabetes and you have type 1 diabetes, your body is not able to get rid of all that sugar that's floating around in your blood because you're not producing insulin. So it's just coming out and you feel, as Tara was saying, so so sickly and you lose all this this weight and you're feeling horrible and have um, no energy. And then when you take insulin and the glucose is able to be used effectively as it should be as fuel um, and because it's being used efficiently, you do put on body weight. And I think she described it perfectly that she started to feel better and she was able to function. And you're able to think because glucose is going to your brain and you're able to function So during that period of time, there is some adjustment, and I think as diabetes educators, physicians, health professionals, family members, and just your support around you, we have to be very understanding of the process. It does take a little little bit of time, and I don't even want to say um, just in young women. I've seen it across the board in women and men of all ages because, as we know now, that's why it's not called juvenile diabetes anymore. Type 1 diabetes can happen um, to people as they get a little bit older as well. And, you know, you're right. We get a lot of male listeners out there. I definitely want to be inclusive to the dudes. Uh, Patricia, do you have anything to add? Uh, Susan has done a great job explaining that. But, yes, the weight gain comes from uh, the weight loss comes from the ketones. Uh, and, and most people who are not utilizing insulin, especially type 1s who don't, who don't make insulin, will lose weight. So once they start taking the insulin and food and carbs are used the way that it's supposed to be fueled by the body, then you will see the weight gain. All right. Well, the magic two words tonight, ladies, was mindful eating, which Susan Weiner mentioned earlier. So I know when you're diagnosed with diabetes, one of the big issues is what food uh, can I eat? And one of the big issues people have is potatoes. We all seem to love potatoes, either potato salad, french fries, baked potatoes, sweet potatoes, sweet potato fries, curly fries, what have you. I'm curious to know how the three of you, what your game plan is when you um, choose to have potatoes. And let's start first with Katherine Lawrence. 
Well, Max, um, I do. I do like potatoes. Um, I love potatoes, as a matter of fact, and um, French fries and sweet potato fries and all of that. Um, and what, but what I do do is um, I will get um, a small fry. And when I do a small fry, um, I, you know, you have to worry about the fat too. So, uh, but, but I will get a small fry, and I will adjust for it. I wear an insulin pump, and I will adjust for it. I'll count the carbs, and I'll remember those carbs when I eat my next meal, uh, knowing that I, I've had that that many carbs uh, already. If it's too too close to a meal, and um, and I'll adjust, um, I'll adjust with my insulin um, how much I have to take. And of course, always, always, always doing my blood tests. Always doing the blood tests before and sometimes after, just to make sure that the uh, blood sugar is in control. You know, and 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 eating. And I, I love to eat it. Love to eat the uh, sweet potatoes. And um, but you just, uh, um, I, I can split one in half. I'll do one in half and just eat half of the sweet potato. And 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 again, you know, you you, you talked about some uh someone mentioned uh, determined discipline and determination and yes, that's all part of it and that's what you have to have. You've got to have that. And I've always said blood test, blood test, blood test. Take a blood test. <laughs> It'll Great. help. Uh, Believe me. All right. Cindy Lou, you're uh, you're up at the menu. We're having potatoes. What's your game plan going into potatoes? I do sweet potatoes. I I really don't do a lot of white potato because they run me up higher than sweet potato does. But I can do a half cup of sweet potato or a half sweet potato. If we're out eating with friends, I do a whole cup. Um, sweet potatoes just don't bother me much, Max. White potatoes is where I have my issue. All right, and uh, Tara. So definitely start the meal off by checking my blood sugar. Um, And then I pre-bolus usually. I try to decide about how much I'm going to let myself have and give myself a bolus to kind of get the insulin started so I don't have that huge peak. Um, And then, yeah, I go for the sweet potatoes too, but every once in a while a regular french fries is just as good. All right, and Susan, you know, so many people diagnosed with diabetes think they can't have any of the foods they love. We all, and America loves potato, so does half the rest, most of the world. Uh, and now we just heard from these three women how they've all put it into back on the menu. It's back in their game plan. What do you want to say? I want to say that I love to share with my patients my recipe of going half the type of potato they like. And, of course, I love the nutritional value of a sweet potato, and we come up with recipes of mixing that with cauliflower. So if you pure, boil up some cauliflower, puree it, kind of mix it in with your potato and make a swap out of part of the sweet potato, you could have a little bit more of the dish, and you've added in some high-fiber cruciferous vegetables that also has cancer-fighting abilities. So I just think there's so many different ways to go with this, and I love that all of these ladies have come up with their own way of doing things, but that would be my suggestion. And we just heard that too, Patricia, that's so so unique how all three of them handle potatoes. And do you find that with your patient population that there's, you know, people have to have a unique way of handling how they would have a food that everyone else is having? Most definitely. Sometimes it might mean decreasing your portion size or preparing it a little differently or 
drinking water once you've consumed something, or for some people it just means eliminating it. But, um, yes, everyone needs to figure out his or her way of incorporating whatever it is that they desire and like. And diabetes doesn't have to dim their dazzle. That's part of the whole idea behind that segment. Thank you all for being a part of that. You know, I know we're all looking for inspiration. When Etta James is getting ready to record all, her All the Way album, somebody from the record company said, Etta, should, you should leave the blues alone and do something lush. So she went in and created a lush record. Here's another song from the essential Etta James album, courtesy of Sony Music. I've been holding out so long I've been sleeping all alone Cause I miss you I've been hanging on the phone I've been sleeping all alone I won't kiss you You know, there's one diva I always miss if I don't talk to her every week, and that's Mama Rosemary. And uh, let's welcome her to the show tonight. Hello, Mama Rosemary. Good evening, Max. We've been missing you. We went a little extra tonight because I had so many wonderful divas, and uh, you heard everyone talking a little bit about the weight loss surgery. I know you, you, you are a big fan of American Idol, so you kind of saw – Randy Jackson losing that weight consistently through the uh, seasons, did you not? Yes, I did. Mm-hmm. It was very interesting. To hear how how difficult some of these surgeries can be uh, sure. in order to maintain it after after they have it. Right. I always wondered about that, about the maintenance. So it was really interesting to hear what everybody had to say this evening. And what shoe did you pick? Oh, I picked the ankle. I really did. I can't believe I did the same thing as Tara, but I did. And I'm not a fashion connoisseur, that's for sure. Catherine will tell you that. But um, I did pick the ankle. All right. Why don't you share your tip for us this month? Okay. Well, my tip this month is not only for the pizza, for the potato lovers, but this one is for the pizza lovers. Um, I'm tipping them off to to uh, have a good, healthy heart Um, because, you know, sodium puts us at a higher risk for heart diseases and elevated blood pressure. Unfortunately, pizza brings together a melting pot of those high-sodium ingredients like the cheese and the pepperoni and the sausage and the tomato sauce and the crust. Be heart healthy, and the next time you grab a slice of a pizza, and you choose a different topping. You choose an olive oil topping instead of the tomato. And then ask them to go a little light on the cheese, a little lighter on that, and ask for veggie toppings instead of meat. And those are the ways to stay a little bit more heart-helping, healthy. Limit yourself to two small slices and have a salad or those steamed vegetables to round out your meal. Um, I recommend this for everyone who wants to stay heart healthy and keep those blood pressures down. Uh, Ciao for now. 
All right, thank you, Mama Rosemarie, and thank you all my guests for being on the show tonight, and thank you, of course, for listening. Please subscribe to our DivaBetic e-newsletter at divabetic.org and visit DivaBetic's Facebook page and videos on my Mr. DivaBetic YouTube channel. Remember, every diva has an entourage, and so does every dude, and I'm so glad to be part of yours. Let's get happy and stay healthy together. We're going to close the show with one more song by Etta James. Of course, it's her most popular song, courtesy of Sony Music. Here's At Last. slots you can get lucky just about anywhere dearly beloved we are gathered here today to has anyone seen the bride and groom sorry sorry we're here we were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time no lucky land casino with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry in that case i pronounce you lucky play for free at luckylandslots.com daily bonuses are waiting no purchase necessary void were prohibited by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply see website for details